0: Welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast for a crisp and beautiful morning here. as Spring starts to turn into summer. I wanted to share with you some quick thoughts before the live stream later today. I'll let you know about that actually first. The live stream is at 2 p.m if you can make it and this is on the 11th of may 2023 year of our lord so if, if you're listening after this has taken place so well, you can't participate you can go back and listen to what happened but uh, if you're listening to this before that particular live stream i would just encourage you if you have questions about christianity and government and what the christian's role is and whether or not the government should be um self-aware of Christianity and acknowledge Christianity and govern in a Christian way and and all the various conversations that have been going on about uh, cultural Christianity and Christian political engagement, I would encourage you, come by at 2 p.m. Eastern Time today. And uh, if you're in the live chat, just ask me whatever question you want. I'll try to pitch as many as I can to John Eidsmo, uh, who's our guest. And then uh, if you're a patron, of course, you can Participate live if you wish. Uh, John Idesmo uh, has been in, in this arena for a long time. Uh, he was in the military. Now he's with a uh, Foundation for Moral Law, which is a a think tank slash, I guess, legal firm. Uh, he, I understand, has some theological training. Actually, Judd Saul's the one that said you got to get John Idesmo on to talk about this stuff. So we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, One other thing before I get into uh, some of the thoughts that I wanted to share with you about Russell Moore and Donald Trump, the Standard Beard Care is one of the sponsors of this particular podcast, and I haven't plugged them in a little while, so I just want to let you know about them. Again, you can go to thestandardbeardcare.com, and they have some excellent products. Uh, Father's Day is coming up. Uh, This is a good gift for the father in your life if they have a beard, and you can get beard soap and beard balm and beard oil and uh, beard wash and everything you need for beards, pretty much. So uh, go to the standardbeardcare.com, type in the promo code CONVOS at checkout to get a discount. Uh, And uh, that'll let them know that you found out about it on this particular podcast as well. Anyway, well, uh, where do we start? Where do we start? Uh, That is a hard decision. Well, uh, I figured probably one of the best places uh, to start would be uh, what Donald Trump said last night, and then we'll get Russell Moore's reaction to it. So here's what Donald Trump said last night. Absolutely. Do you over- want Ukraine to win this war? Uh, I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of getting it settled so we stop killing all these people and breaking down <laughs> this Of you the don't things think you in terms have of to do is you have losing. to get the, you have Mr. to President, can I just follow up on that because that's a really important no, excuse statement me let me just, just follow made up there. can you say if you want ukraine or russia to win this war i want everybody to stop dying they're dying russians and ukrainians i want them to stop dying and I'll have that done, I'll have that done in 24 hours, I'll have it done. You need the power of the presidency to do it. But you but won't say that you want Ukraine to win. You, you know what I'll you say? In, I'll say this. Office. I want Europe to put up more money, because they're in for 20000000000 billion, we're in for 170 but and they should an be, and should they should the equalize. War. They have plenty of money, they should equalize. I got with NATO, but I'm asking when you I sat about down, Ukraine I got them right to now, put up hundreds of billions of... Okay, well, that was... Uh, one of the clips that I want to talk about today, before we get to that particular clip, though, I want to show you what Russell Moore had to say about this whole entire debacle. He said, glorifying people who violently attacked our Capitol, calling a Capitol officer a thug, what a moral disgrace this is. So, so Russell Moore, and David French retweeted that, I think, So, and, and who knows who else today is going to do that. Russell Moore has made his uh, intentions known that, it, it was, that, that that's the reason that this whole thing was a, a shamble. And um of of course I don't feel that way about it. I, I actually was pleasantly surprised by how Donald Trump behaved. He was more measured, calm, cool, collected. He uh seemed very reasonable to me. And maybe the moderator, quote unquote, set him up for that. But he was uh making some very, I think, reasonable assessments about a number of issues. And he didn't fall into the traps that they set for him. In fact, he turned it around, which I think is a good lesson for Christians to learn. And I'm not saying they have to go to Donald Trump to learn that lesson. I, I think uh, the, the perfect example is Jesus Christ, who never fell into the Pharisees' traps, and would always turn it around on them, it seemed. So th- that's, that's your model. But in the political arena, we're not used to Republicans behaving this way. Trump has been the exception, that he's willing to say things that will get him in trouble with the elite class, and uh, he doesn't care. It seems what the consequences of those things are for him. Uh, he'll say them anyway. And um, and I know many of you are, you're, you're very um, you're very skeptical of this, and I understand why. That uh, Trump is uh, he's just out for himself. I I see that too. I think I, I think you can say he's willing to make some of these sacrifices in part because. He knows some of these sacrifices are going to probably benefit him. So if they he doesn't have maybe anything to prove to the elites, which is a good thing, and we all like that. But you know, perhaps uh, ingratiating himself to the common man, uh, quote unquote, is, is worth it to him, and he thinks that's going to be a bigger boost to his own um, agenda and ego and all of the rest of it. So, so, so I see all that, look, and and, and, and I have to say that f- there's a few people in the comments uh, yesterday when I posted about this and, and, and an observation I had, which I'm going to share with you in a moment, uh, were immediately just dismissive of it. Like, you know, tr- why are you buying into the two-party system? Trump's about Trump. All that, Like, I understand all that. It's, it's irrelevant to the point, though, I'm trying to make here. And, and, and that's what I want you to see, whether you vote for Trump or not, ir- irrelevant to the point. Uh, made here and I don't know who I'm voting for yet. It's a little premature. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what third party candidates are going to be out there or uh, what kind of traction they're going to be able to get or any of that. So um, we're, we're premature on this uh, whole, you know, who are you going to vote for and all that. It, it looks like it's probably going to be Trump getting the Republican nomination, but anything could happen. Um, so, uh, that being said, uh, this is not meant to endorse a political candidate or, or persuade you that you got to go for Donald Trump, but but there's an observation here. I think as Christians, we need to think deep about these things as much as we can and finding the fundamental, um, disagreement or the dividing line between CNN and Donald Trump voters, finding, finding out what the, the core root issues in the divide because it's a really, it's a stark divide that we have. It's deep. Finding those core uh, dividing lines, I think, is important, or because we'll misdiagnose if we don't. And if we misdiagnose, we come up with the wrong solutions to things. And 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 you have people. Uh, well, I'm not going to get into all the nonsense, but there's a lot of nonsense right now. And, and one of the things that's a big dividing line came out in the clip that I just played for you. So here's what I wanted to um, to share with you. This is an observation that I made last night, and I'm going to read it for you now, Uh, I said this, I said, the most revealing part of tonight's CNN town hall was when Trump refused to say what side he wanted to win the war between Ukraine and Russia. Instead, he said he wanted people to stop dying. This isn't getting as much play as some of his zingers, but nothing came up that was more revealing about his philosophy versus the philosophy of most politicians. Trump cares about conditions. CNN cares about status. Trump, and I think most Americans with him, want people's conditions to be improved. CNN and most elites care about being technically correct regardless of the cost to human life. A status that ensures the correct outcome is more important than the human suffering it takes to achieve it. This is the fundamental divide between populists and ideologues, or those who care more about people versus those who care more about ideas. And and, and and there's already been reactions like, well, you're saying it's good that he's unprincipled. That's not what I'm saying here, and, that, and that's part of the reason I wanted to make this video uh, to uh, clarify that for you, so you know exactly what uh, I'm talking about here. So, um, we're, we're going to get into this uh, in a moment with the Russell Moore article by way of a, of a contrast here. But I I, I want to um, I want you to think about. The reason that politicians, statesmen, magistrates, okay, people running for the position of magistrate, what the reason they have for their office? Why do they even exist? Why are they put there? You say to punish evil, right? To punish evil, promote good. For who? For for what? In what context? For the betterment of, 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 of who? It, it's obviously for the people they serve. That that goes without saying. It should go without saying. They uh, do what they do because of people under their jurisdiction who need to be protected from bad guys uh, who need a good example set before them. Not saying Trump's a good example, but they need a good example set before them. So promoting good is part of this. And if we lose sight of that, of of the fact that there's people that actually matter in this, tangible people who exist in the real world, who have real jobs and real families and real lives, then we are going to miss the entire point of why civil magistrates exist in the first place. And I submit to you that that is actually one of the fundamental dividing lines between populists, if you want to use uh, that, that term, and on the other side, elitists today. And you could use different terms if you want. I didn't want to use conservative and liberal because I think it's it's actually a little bit different than that. You could use those terms. But um, the more populist, uh, and, and I'm going back to a definition of populism or conception of it that Clyde Wilson uh, in his famous essay on populism in the 1970s gave it, where um, he talks about populism as this phenomenon from the right, not from the left, which a lot of academics say it's a left-wing thing because European leftists are populists or something. But But he made the point in America that's not true. It's it's a right wing phenomenon, and it's it's actually when people mobilize, and we've probably seen this a number of times in our own lifetimes. People mobilize in mass against some kind of innovation being forced down their throats uh, from the from the left. Some new progressive innovation that is going to bring us into a state of euphoria, utopia, and all kinds of good things. And 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 we know that that's not true. That it's going to affect our our families tangibly in the real world. It's going to shape our own lives. And so you have movements like uh, the moral majority. Uh, you have movements like the Tea Party movement. Uh, and I would say Trump's election is also uh, in that similar vein. Movements that just rise up when the conditions are in, in a certain way, uh, set against them in, in, in a certain way. And all of a sudden, people who weren't even that politically involved, they're becoming involved. And they're becoming involved on the right side. Uh, I mean, right as in a political right. So um, so, so that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about populism, these these kinds of of movements. And those movements are, every time that I can think of, populist movements are very concerned about the plight of real, ordinary people, tangible people that exist in the real world. And the effects that some innovative policies that someone who probably went to college but doesn't have a lot of real world experience came up with. And in these theories, which is what they are, propositions, theories, abstract concepts, when they get pushed on people, they react and, and they say, look, that may work in your lab, in your mind or something, but here in the real world, that's going to cost me a lot of money or that's going to, uh, that's going to kill our children. That's going to create a culture we don't want to live in. It's going to have negative effects. All right. So that's a little bit on populism real quick. Now, um, what I wanted to say about uh, this particular uh, scenario that you see playing out here is that we have been conditioned for centuries now, really decades at the very least, to believe that um, people ought to be sacrificed to certain ideas, principles, concepts. And uh, you can see this in spreading democracy around the world and how important that is. And really, the, the death counts don't seem to matter to some people as much when it's for the noble cause of, of something like that. But, but what's the noble cause? Well, the noble cause really isn't about tangible people. It's about spreading an idea. Uh, you can see that, um, you know, even, even, I'm going back even to the 1860s, some of the, the reasoning used to justify the death of 600,000 people. In a bloody civil war versus compensating uh, and integrating uh, the slaves who lived in the United States at that time, um, that actually shows a little bit of this thinking that you that you have a noble cause. No one's arguing that it's not noble to want to end slavery. The but. But at what cost? That becomes a factor. What kinds of d- destruction, what kinds of devastation happen as a, in, in the pursuit of this that may be avoided if another way uh, was chosen? And in and, and, and questions like that, you're not even allowed to ask anymore about history. You're just not even allowed. As soon as you ask them, well, and, and this is the way the left always responds. And now, unfortunately, people supposedly on the right are saying it, but they're, they're really on the left, guys. They start saying, you know, where's your patriotism, or where's your your concern, uh, where's your you you must be a bad person. You you you, you, you want slavery? You want you don't want democracy? Uh, you you want totalitarian regimes? And it's like no, <laughs> no, no one wants those things. But the the principles being applied to these situations are totally different. You have on one side people are sacrificed for the sake. Of these ideas or if you want to say principles you can say principles make it as noble as you want but uh, people are sacrificed to those things and on the other side you have those things actually are supposed to work to, for the benefit of tangible actual people so so, so in, in, in one scheme man is sacrificed to these abstractions on the, in the other scheme uh, in, the, in the other way of thinking, these abstractions are serve man Trump's in that second way of thinking. Uh, which I, I think is the way that most people thought for, well, not everyone, obviously, but I think um, it, it's it's more of a modern innovation for people to think in these uh, these abstract terms. It's at a time when there's mass communication, where you can uh, talk about loving the entire world, but you don't actually have to love anyone in it, <laughs> right? Loving all the people of the world, but I, I, don't, I don't like my neighbor, I don't like my family, right? That's the the world that we live in now, where you can, uh, where loving people means an allegiance to some abstraction, where um, being committed to verse, diversity means uh, that you are committed to some kind of a principle of diversity. It doesn't mean you actually know diverse people. It doesn't mean that you're going and hanging out with people of different ethnicities or cultures from you. And I was trying to think, you know, I'd be curious if people have comments on this in, in the—write uh, uh, write them, please, on the, on the video. Uh, because I was thinking biblically. I'm like, what's—I'm what's sure there's many good examples of this. The, the only one that kept coming to mind for me, though, was uh, Jephthah's daughter and how Jephthah made, made a promise uh, that he would kill the first thing that came out of his house. And then his daughter comes out, and he decides uh, that, that he has to be held to his word. And it's like, maybe you made a dumb promise, right? Maybe you should just say, "Look, that was not a good thing. I was, that was not a good idea." Uh, I mean, it, it's a good idea to want to sacrifice to the Lord something, right? So that that was a good idea, but he he didn't think of the possibility that maybe a human being might walk out that door, and and it's a human that he might see. So if it's a human uh, that he's seeing, uh, he he's gonna you know swear to his own hurt and not change. Well that's what the righteous man does, I would say, yeah, in most circumstances, that's what what the righteous man does. As a general principle, that is exactly what you're supposed to do as a righteous man. You swear to your own hurt. It doesn't necessarily mean the hurts of others. and It doesn't necessarily mean you can't confess and say, I made a dumb promise, and I know this breaks trust. I'm going to have to build it back up, but please forgive me. And, and, and so that's an example that came to my mind from the Bible. What other examples can you think of along these lines? I'm, I'm just curious. Um, but, you know... The the rules, the law of God, even is meant to uh, it, it reflects the character and nature of God. But is it intended for man's betterment? And I think people lose sight of this sometimes. It's intended for man's uh, to help man. In uh, I'm saying the the universal principles that are applied to laws that are the light to the nations that are uh, supposed to be applied uh, across the board. The the reason the Queen of Bath of um, of of uh, now, why am I blanking on this? <laughs> uh, is it the Queen of Sheba came to uh, to visit Solomon? Um, was because she was impressed uh, to see the way that Solomon handled himself and the principles he applied in running his kingdom. Uh, that is that that's important. That's important for us to think through why. Why are good laws good? What, what purpose do they serve? And in this situation with uh, the Ukraine war, that's taking place. Trump was very wise, I think, in this particular setting to say, look, the condition is what matters here. People are dying you're so concerned about what side is right and making sure I get the right answer on this because people think Ukraine's the right one. And it, it, we, if we can make Trump look bad if he says that uh, they're both equal or, or neither side is right or something. And Trump's like, look, that's you're, you're missing the main point here. The main point is people are dying. People are dying, and, and, we, and we need to stop that. And I think actually when you hear it articulated, the way Trump articulates it, he does it actually fairly well. People resonate to it. They they uh, they start to see, oh yeah, that is the big deal. People are dying. That is the big that, that is the main thing. Um, it's it's not which side you technically get correct in a situation that uh, doesn't cost you much personally. Now, of course, it's costing the American taxpayer quite a bit, but uh, it doesn't personally. It doesn't really. You don't risk anything by saying, uh, you know, I want Ukraine to be the correct, the, the side that wins, and then you never do anything about it. Uh, and you don't have to worry about those people who are actually taking shells into their homes. So I think this was correct. And if you're going to negotiate, of course, you can't be on the record saying things like I want Zelensky to win. And then you have to go to the negotiating table with Putin like that. That makes no sense. And, and CNN is just I, I don't understand why the moderator decided to do that. Uh, other than she they thought that this would be egg in Donald Trump's face. And clearly it's not. They're in an insular bubble where the only thing that matters is whether you technically get the answer correct. So I um, wanted to point that out. I think it's worth thinking through. That's one of the things I think you want to see in a statesman is that they care about wh- whether, <laughs> in this case, I know that there's egos in the way and all the rest, but you, you want to make sure that they care about, whether it's Trump or someone else, the people that uh, they actually have to govern. Uh, and, 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 that, and I would say that it applies, too, to the people whose decisions in other countries are going to be affected by them. So um, something, food for thought, something to think about. Now, uh, real quick. I want to go through this article. This is um, from Russell Moore, and I think that this illustrates a little bit. We, maybe we won't go through the whole thing, but on Tucker Carlson and the fear of being replaced, Christians who seek the wrong kingdom will dread the wrong apocalypse. And he says, I only get an hour a week. Tucker gets five. Oh, man, does it have a paywall? The version I saw did not have a paywall. Okay, well, uh, I guess we're going to only read uh, the first three paragraphs. I've heard a sentiment along these lines countless times from evangelical pastors, although they sometimes replace Tucker with Laura or Sean or another Fox News cable host. After his firing by the network, Tucker Carlson no longer has five hours a week, but his legacy ought to tell us just how much the church has secularized. So, so the church certainly has, but is that really because of Tucker Carlson? That's who Russell Moore wants to blame. I would submit it's because of Russell Moore <laughs> it's the people in the church. Tucker's not in the—but anyway— uh, But his legacy ought to tell us just how much the church has secularized. Nowhere is this clearer than in the kind of replacement theory embraced by so many Christians originating on the white nationalist fringes. The great replacement theory holds that globalist elites are seeking to replace white Americans with black and brown immigrants from around the world at the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. For example, the alt-right crowd chanted you will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. Now, Let me comment on this uh, briefly while I look to see if I can find one, a a version of this that doesn't have the paywall. Um, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that, uh, I don't know how I avoided the paywall before, but um, what he's talking about here is the idea that uh, the United States is being subverted in some way by uh, populations that aren't American coming in. You think that's happening right now? You bet it's happening, and it's happening a lot. And so, um, so, so, what he's saying is that uh, this is something that is exists on the white nationalist fringes. This is something that uh, is uh, is unique to people who are who who would be not in keeping with Christian values. So, so, it's a a guilt by association argument that he's already starting to wield uh, uh, form here. Two years ago, he says, David Froome argued that there actually is a great replacement happening, but not one popularized by Carlson and others. Froome said the most politically important great replacement in the United States is the replacement of conservative Christians by their liberal and secular children and grandchildren. Froome's arguments, I mean, look, it's not either or, both could be happening at the same time, right? Froome's arguments uh, should come with lots of caveats and qualifications, like for those who say that demographic change will increase... Minority populations would lead to a permanent progressive majority in the United States. Some naively assume that secularization trends will mean the end of religion, especially of conservative Christianity. For all sorts of reasons, this is not the case, but Froome is correct that one of the most seismic generational changes over the last 20 years is the rise of the nuns, referring to those with no religious affiliation. Uh, He says that one reason American Christians are in a state of denial about these realities is that many are sorting themselves into the wrong us. Every blood and soil form of fear-based identity politics thrives on defining us in terms of visceral categories like race, tribe, or nationality. Those are visceral categories now, I, I, I'll have you know. I guess in Revelation, when every tribe, tongue, nation, people, they're, they're all around the throne of God, I guess you know that's what's going to happen. He's going to chide them all for... Or I mean, what do you, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write those words. Are those visceral categories? Those those categories are bad. Those are visceral categories. The only category that matters is whether I guess you're a Christian or not. And it's like spiritually speaking, that's true. But uh, I'll tell you what: if you're an English speaker, that that is, I'm going to be able to communicate with you over someone who's not English because I don't know any other language. Well, I study Greek, Greek and Hebrew, but I'm not going to say that I know those languages either. Uh, I know enough to to, to get by on Lagos. All right, well, the problem for Christians is that the gospel contradicts this theology at its very root. Okay, this is where i like, where's Russell Moore's gospel? Really? Russell, categorizing people by that means you don't have the gospel? If Christianity for you is white and American, then it is not only out of step with the Bible. It is also precisely the kind of religion that almost every chapter of the New Testament explicitly repudiates as carnal and pagan. Well, Okay, clearly uh, there are traditions within Christianity that have been molded by certain regions. That's why you have Anglo-Protestantism, and that Anglo-Protestantism has certain features, like traditional hymns that many of us sing on Sundays, uh, that have traditional music and and Scottish snaps in them, which you don't hear in other languages. I mean, come on, come on. Uh, there's obviously traditions in the temporal uh, world in which the church inhabits. The church being part of. Of that and, and and helping to nurture and, and hopefully uh, disciple people who are in this temporal world. Uh, but uh, yeah, for, if we're talking about the universal church, of course those distinctions don't exist as far as barriers for entry. Um, this isn't hard stuff, but Russell Moore is just creating, uh, conflating things where he doesn't need to conflate them. Um, anyway, the gospel situates us in a whole new story. One based on the promise of God made to Abraham. If the church is just another way for humans to protect their gene pools, then Jesus was a fraud. See, who's saying this? Who is saying this? If the blood and soil nationalists are correct about what defines success, and the crowds are right to call out a leader like Barabbas instead of Jesus. This, this is like just dribble. Like there's just no, it's just a tirade. There, there's no, no rationale behind any of this. But Jesus and his apostles gave us an entirely different vision of how we and us are ultimately defined. So here it is. You hear progressives often say uh, it's the we and the us, the those divisions. We got to get rid of divisions, which of course, as soon as you do that, you're making a division. You're saying that there's those people who believe in we and us, and then there's us who we don't believe in we and us. Well, that's also a division. That's a binary. And Russell Moore's doing that here. He's saying there's those Christians who are uh, believing in these these categories, these cultural categories, and then there's people like me who we don't, we, we don't think those things are important. Well, that's still a binary, and you're still dividing the body of Christ, aren't you? You're saying that there's Christians who are this way, and then there's Christians who don't believe that way and and, and it, it, this is it's all self-refuting because the whole premise is that the only category that's significant is Christians and non-Christians but he's creating another category. There's Christians who are uh, who, who think wrong uh, wrongly and then there's Christians who think rightly like him. Once we uh, lose that biblical sense of wellness overall any threats to the place is, Where we do catch rare glimpses of it is considered an ultimate threat, capable of destroying us completely. If we have misplaced hopes, we will have misplaced fears. That sense of paralyzing fear can also fuel a loss of the next generation. So he's he's saying that you know he's implying we're losing children to progressive stuff because uh, of our fears. Our fears are driving this. The implicit but faulty logic is that we are we teach a generation to fear many things. They will at least fear the things they ought to, but it doesn't work that way. My generation was taught. That rock music included hidden backward mass satanic messages. This did not lead us to become more discerning about cultural narratives. Now, he is right about this to some extent. And when we found out this wasn't true, it was only taught to us to uh, wonder what other of our elders' fears were imagined or fabricated. So, so people say this about, like, you know, teaching kids that Santa Claus exists. Well, what are they going to say when... Uh, they get older and they find out he doesn't and and for those parents who uh, who are listening and their kids just heard that I, I don't apologize actually <laughs> but I am respectful uh, in, in normal circumstances but for, for the sake of this podcast uh, this is a perfect example so I have to say it that uh, it's a valid argument it's a valid argument I think um, and I'm not, nothing against Santa Claus as far you know I, I sat on Santa Claus's lap and stuff but I knew he wasn't real when I was a kid right and um and i think there's there's some truth to this now but the thing is if there really is a santa claus let's say there there and there is a historical one but let's say there really was and there's not then um should we believe in santa claus well well yeah that, that the whole issue is whether it's true or not and the issue here is whether this great uh, replacement stuff is it true or not i don't know of all the theories about it that are swirling around there but it seems obvious that we have millions of people crossing our border. It's impacting our towns. I just talked in the last episode about how uh, the county just under me is giving instructions to people from New York City to come up and they'll get meals and laundry and all the rest. And, and this is happening in real time and it's affecting our communities deeply in bad ways. We can't handle it financially. We can't handle it culturally. Um, it's just the rate at which it's happening that assimilation can't take place. What do you do about that? Right? And, and, and if you go back to the laws of Israel, they, they talked about these things. They talked about aliens and strangers and the rest. So, uh, and, and, and the way to treat them and, and what laws applied, and the and borders were around cities, you know. But if Jesus is right that our ultimate belonging comes not by our flesh and through spirit, then none of us can consider our present or potential future siblings in Christ scary or unclean. Um, t- cable television hosts come and go but there will always be people who try to make us find our identity in the wrong place and our enemies in the wrong people uh, he goes on he says the church will go into the future even in America and will probably be led by the very people we are told to fear now so this is just dribble but this is red meat for the Christianity Today audience and I would say uh, the Washington establishment who wants to consider themselves to be respectful Christians who are, w- are willing to go around uh, along with the uh, agendas uh, the globalist agendas so um, that's the show. I mean, the, the contrast, I guess, is is that uh, you look at someone like Trump, and he's willing to sacrifice. He, he, sorry, not Trump. More, he's willing to sacrifice real, tangible people in the real world uh, to uh, what's the idea? What's the idea here? Well, some kind of uh, version of inclusion, uh, some kind of uh, theory that or idea that we ought to um, get rid of these categories. So this is all happening in an abstract sense in in one's mind, but then when it's applied to the real world, it has a devastating effect. We don't talk about those effects. We We deny them because it doesn't fit the theory. And that's the point. That's what ideologues do. If it doesn't fit the theory, it's not even part of reality. They don't even consider it. Uh, that That's ideological thinking. And so the consequences to people for enacting these principles of open borders and, and, and the uh, behind that the quote-unquote equality that's supposed to be produced through that, uh, they don't care what kind of people are sacrificed. And, and the people who are sacrificed ought to be protected by the very magistrates who have control over these decisions. That's the difference between Donald Trump and Russell Moore. And if you want to know why there are so many Christians who are willing to vote for Donald Trump, and willing to, and they won't read Russell Moore, it's because, in part, because of this. It's because of this. Ideological thinking versus real, tangible, on the ground, nuts and bolts, how it will affect my family thinking, populist thinking, if you want to call it that, but call it whatever you want. All right, well, hopefully that uh, helped people uh, understand some of this better. God bless. Uh, Don't forget the live stream later today, 2 o'clock p.m. with John Eitzmo. God bless